Our text this morning, we'll be turning there, is in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. We're going to be starting at verse 14 and reading through chapter 4, verse 5. If you happen to be using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that uh, on page uh, 996 of that Bible. Uh, good morning, I'm Brandon Barrett, the lead pastor here at Grace Covenant, and it's, it's good to be here. And again, let me reiterate, uh, for those of you that are, that are visiting, we're glad you're here. Thanks for being here this morning to worship with us. And you're coming in the middle of a series, uh, a sermon series this fall called Vital Worship. And we're talking week in and week out about what it means uh, as God's people to, to enter into this act of worship. That's what we do together on a Sunday morning and entering into a life of worship. And so the, the means we're using this semester to talk about this are we're, we're looking at the order of worship that we go through together on a Sunday morning, the elements of worship, and we're talking about each one of those. So we've talked about uh, our call to worship, we've talked about uh, singing, we've talked about confession of sin and the insurance of pardon, and uh, this morning we're going to talk about preaching, which is obviously something that we spend some time on each Sunday morning when we're together. Uh, and so that's what um, Paul, in this passage to Second Timothy, is writing to Timothy. Timothy is his younger protege, and Paul is writing this right near the end of his life, encouraging this young minister to stay strong in the preaching of the word is, is we're going to see one of the things that he focuses specifically on. And he tells Timothy this in the midst of a, a world and a, and a culture that was often hostile to truth. And so he says, Timothy, you need to care about what's true. Um, and so he speaks these as words of encouragement to him. So let, let's pray together and then we'll jump right in and see uh, Paul's word to Timothy and God's word to us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning as people very much in need of the truth. You've created us as human beings to be a people who subsist on truth. You're a God who speaks truth to us, and we are a people always in need of it from your mouth. Would you speak to us even this morning? Lord, we thank you that you give us the gift of leaning close that you might speak to us. And so we look to you now and pray that you would open your word to us and open our hearts to your word that you do this by the power of your Spirit, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It is God's word. It's given for our good and his glory. Uh, I was thinking this this week that we are people in an election time that are particularly aware of uh, and conscious of our needs. Now, 
the truth is we're people who are always aware and fairly vocal about our needs. Uh, but in election times, even more so, because uh, we expect our presidential candidates to be able to address the things that we really need in life. So if you've seen any of the, um, the presidential elections or the vice presidential election, you remember there's, there's a moderator who says something like this, welcome, we're glad that you're here. I've, I've spent the last week culling through the 10,000 emails that I received with you know, questions from, from America to ask these people. And so, so now I'm going to ask these questions. And people write in, and the moderator's job is to come up with questions that address the things that are most important and the things that are most essential. And so for us, you know, this election, for many of us, you know, the economy is on our mind. What is the president, next president going to do to help us in the middle of this time of economic stress? Or, uh, the wars that, are, that we're engaged in right now, energy needs, so you, you name it. We have these needs, and, we, and, and they're on the surface for us as a culture. But think about the question you have not heard on any of the presidential debates. At no point has the moderator said, you know, I've been getting all these questions and email requests this week for this question, and goes on to ask the two candidates, if you become the next president of the United States, what are you going to do to ensure that good, solid, biblical preaching is really upheld in our world today? What are you going to do? Well, we haven't heard that question, and honestly, I don't want to hear that question on a presidential debate. That's not the president's job. But simply to say, we're, this is a time when, when we do hear those questions of, and we so quickly ask those questions of what we think is most central to us. And it's many of those things we've listed, the economy and jobs and all of those which are very extremely important questions. But here's the point here and our point from the passage of this morning. God thinks that the preaching of his word is utterly central to what we need as his people. He thinks we need that badly. We need it desperately. Uh, so this morning we're going to talk about preaching. It is a part, obviously, of what we do in a Sunday morning worship service, as we're doing right now. It is not the only thing that we do in worship. It is not the sum total of what it means to worship God. But as God's people, we come and we hear his word. Now, Sunday morning is not the only time you're exposed to that either. I mean, many of you, maybe you read your Bible throughout out the week and you pray and you experience God's good work by his Holy Spirit bringing his word to bear on your life as you sit there drinking a cup of coffee and reading the Bible. Or maybe you experience that week in and week out with a small group of other folks that study the Bible together. God brings his word to bear on our lives in a lot of different contexts, even in, the, in a given week. But one of the things that we see in the Bible is that one of the main ways God does that, one of the main ways he brings his word to us is through the preaching of his word. So it matters that we talk a little bit about what we think we're doing when someone stands up here and preaches, and in a couple weeks we're going to talk about how to listen to a sermon, which might be an incredibly practical sermon. Uh, so we're going to take a couple weeks to talk about the experience that we have of, of coming together under God's Word. Uh, and first we see in this passage, well, well let me say this, preaching, what is it? Here's, here's a sort of rough definition of it. Preaching is the declaring of God's Word and bringing it to bear on the lives of a particular group of people at a particular time through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The bringing of God's word to bear on a particular people at a particular time. God's word, his eternal word we find in Scripture. And what do we find? It's being opened up for us this morning here at this church in Williamsburg, Virginia, and around our city, and around the world, as God's word is spoken into many different contexts. And preachers stand up to bring the word to bear to those particular people. So for us here this morning, our congregation, God bringing his word to bear. 
Okay, first thing we see in the text, look at chapter 4, verse 2. We begin with this very clear call from Paul to Timothy to preach. Verse 2, he says, you know, in the middle of this, he gives this charge in verse 1, which we'll come back to. But then he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience, with complete patience and teaching. Paul is near the end of his life here, uh, somewhere in the mid to late uh, 60s A.D., and he is writing this word to Timothy as his protege to say, even as he is, he is on the verge of being martyred by Rome, he tells this, uh, this one who will go and preach after him to preach the word. He says, this is central to what you are to do. Uh, and we see throughout the Bible that preaching has a, a really central place, beginning to end. Uh, think about all the preachers that are in the Bible. Noah was a preacher. Peter mentions him as that in chapter 2 of Second Peter. Moses, Aaron, Jonah, Hosea, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all the prophets, John the Baptist, uh, Jesus himself was a preacher in Mark 1. Uh, Jesus it begins to perform these miraculous uh, healings, and the people in this one town say, stay with us, and he says, no, I've got to go to the other towns as well in order to preach about the kingdom of God, because that is why I've come. Jesus, too, was a preacher. Uh, and so were the apostles, the twelve disciples after him, and Stephen, and Philip, and Paul, and Barnabas, and Apollos, and Timothy. And the list goes on throughout the pages of Scripture. That God's used the preaching of his word to literally change the world and change people's lives. So we see that it is central that God calls him to preach. Now, if we're going to make such a big deal of this, okay, not only are we going to make a big deal in the sense that every week when you come here, or most churches, you're going to, you're going to hear a sermon from God's word, and Paul goes out of his way to emphasize this to Timothy. Why? What's the big deal? Another way of asking that is, what's at stake in the preaching of God's word? Well, look with me at, at verse 1 of chapter 4. When he gives this charge, this command to Timothy to be faithful to preach, look at the way he frames this command. Uh, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. He says, I charge you in the name of God the Father and in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, to preach. In other words, he's telling Timothy, I'm calling God as our witness here because God sees, Timothy, what you are doing. And it is in God's presence that you are called to preach. And in fact, it is in God's presence that we all live every moment of our day and every moment of our lives, that God is a God Paul reminds us here, who sees us. We live in his presence. We, our lives are always open before him. He sees everything. And he calls Timothy to preach into that reality of our lives and our hearts. Now, maybe like me, you have friends that are just very insightful, that, that seem to just sort of pick up vibes from other people. Um, I am completely not like this. But I have friends where you'll walk in a room and you'll have a conversation. You guys will both be there for the same conversation. You'll come back out and that friend will say, you know, that person was, that person's really struggling. And you're like, we talked about the weather. Uh, you, you know, I know, but you can just tell there's something going on. I'm like, I can't tell. I'm glad that you can. Uh, and, and maybe you're like that. Maybe you've got this incredible radar to pick up on what's going around you. And if you have friends like that, you know that if you want to hide something, you've got to be extra careful because there's your perceptive friend, Right. Uh, well, what, Timothy, what Paul's reminding Timothy is where our perception, you know, falls short. God is, God's is always perfect. Everything in 
all of us are an open book in front of him. We lie utterly exposed before him. And so Paul says to Timothy, we are all people who live exposed before God. You must go preach to them in order to bring them God's word to speak into those exposed places of their lives. And he goes on and says, speaks of Jesus, he says, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Okay, what's he saying? His appearing. Uh, Paul speaks of this elsewhere as, as well as in other places in the New Testament, that not only has Jesus appeared, not only has he come and come um, as God in the flesh who lived a perfect life, who died our death for us, who was raised from the dead, who even now is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Not only has he appeared, he is going to appear again. That Jesus, in fact, is coming back. And next time, when he returns, it is no longer a suffering servant, but as reigning king. And scripture tells us that there is this day when we will find ourselves in the, the last day, when Christ will return and he will come back as judge. And all of our lives then, fully and finally, will be exposed before him. And all those who God has called to himself, who cling to Christ, who look to him for their salvation, will find themselves restored and reconciled to God on that day, just as we are now when we step into faith. And all those who are outside of Christ will find themselves under judgment. Okay, that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of. In other words, he's saying to Timothy, what's at stake here? Everything is at stake. The most important facts for any human being of how we are or are not in relationship to God, that is what is at stake in your preaching, Timothy. That's what you're to go and talk to people about. This is at the heart of your message. People lost and estranged from God, invited into his presence through the goodness and sacrifice of Jesus for us. He says, go tell people that. That is what you're to preach. That is the condition of all of us before God. Now, many of us, we tend to forget that that's really the weight of what's at stake for us. Um, you know what that's like to sort of feel the important edges of things dulled at times. Um, many of you, I'm sure, you know, travel, have traveled on airplanes. I remember the first time when I took an airline trip, I was 10 years old and I flew by myself from Tennessee to California to visit my grandparents. I can't believe my parents stuck me on that plane by myself, but they did. Uh, and many of you guys will remember, there used to be the day I, I, had, I was wearing like a blue blazer like the one I'm wearing now. People used to dress up to get on the airplane. And so there I am, this little kid. And you know what it's like when you, when you sit down in an airplane, and maybe you remember from the first time you heard this. You sit down, and then somebody stands up, an uh, uh, airline steward or stewardess stands up, and they, they start to tell you what to do if the plane crashes. Right, okay, so if, if, this, if this plane goes down, you know, and if it's over water, you, you, and they start to tell you what to do, and I imagine the first time you hear that, that sort of impresses itself on you. But, you know, we've, you ride an airplane for a while, a few times, and, and if you're like me, by the time, you, you know, you sit down in the airplane the next time, you, you're already reading a book by the time they're up there giving that spiel, and you know there's something about something in your seat is, you can float, and oxygen's going to appear out of somewhere, and I don't know, somebody's going somebody's to come hold my hand if something bad happens, I'm sure. And you sort of tune it out. Well, imagine if you, you go and you, you sit in an airplane and the pilot comes on over the intercom. Uh, the, we, we have a pilot, an airline pilot in our, uh, in our church. Nathan, imagine Nathan's voice, if you know him, coming on. He says, you know, welcome. Uh, you know, we're really glad you chose to fly with our airline this morning um, and hope you have a great flight. I did want to let you know that soon after takeoff, we're going we're gonna, to um, ascend about 30,000 feet. And then after about 10 minutes, one of our engines is going to fail 
and we're going to come plummeting back to Earth and make a crash landing in the ocean. Have a nice flight. Uh, you know, drinks will be served in a minute. Uh, so he gets off the, the intercom, and then, uh, you know, the person gets up and starts to give uh, their little spiel about what to do in case of an emergency. Okay, I would put my book down at that point, and I would start to listen again, because you remember, this is incredibly relevant information, right? If you, if you hear your plane is going to crash, well, sort of a crude analogy maybe, but what it does bring to mind and what Paul is trying to emphasize to Timothy is the stakes are as high as you can possibly imagine. And in fact, one day all of us are going to die or going to be alive the day when Christ returns, and we are all going to stand before his judgment seat. Paul tells Timothy, what you are preaching to people is of utmost importance to their lives. And Timothy, it's of utmost importance to your life. And that bears on us um, in a couple different ways. One, certainly for us, if, if, if you are somebody who has come to faith and you remember when that happened, you know, this message felt incredibly relevant to you at that time. For you, if you are someone who is thinking about the claims of Christ and wrestling with this, you know it's an incredibly relevant question for you right now. But the truth is, it is an incredibly relevant question for us throughout our lives of faith. Because when you come to faith in Christ, you're brought into this new life, and then you experience again and again throughout your life the speaking of God into your life as more and more he conforms you into the image of Christ and teaches you what it means to live in this new life. This word that comes to us from Scripture is relevant and life-giving and of utter importance, first to last, for all of us. Okay, that's what's at stake. Now, what about, we're going to say something about the context of preaching. What, what, what is the world that, that Timothy or is to be preaching into? Look at verses uh, 3 and 4 of chapter 4. Uh, he gives some, uh, a pretty bleak uh, forecast here. He says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off into myths. Okay, it's very easy for many of us to think, you know, at some point there was this golden age in which everybody loved to hear the message of the gospel and culture was incredibly receptive to the truth of Christianity and that's when the church and God's people could really grow, unlike this terrible time that we live in right now. And people and Christians have been saying that for 2,000 years, the terrible time that's happening right now. Uh, and what I think is interesting about this is that Paul says this to t- Timothy, you know, in the very first century. And he says, I want you to be prepared because the time is coming. But he tells Timothy this because he's assuming that Timothy is going to experience this in his own ministry. This time that is coming is a time that is on us even now and has been for a long, long, long time. That the world would not be in and of itself receptive to the gospel. I mean, you think about the world that Paul preached into when he, when he travels to Ephesus. And he uh, preaches to a people who live in the city where the temple of Aphrodite, or excuse me, the temple of uh, Artemis was. And it was one of the seven wonders of the world. And there were over a thousand temple prostitutes to service their religion. And you think about him walking into Corinth into an incredibly debauched culture as uh, it was known to be at that time. Or you think about him just traveling around the Roman Empire, a world caught up in this in- in incredible slavery to this polytheistic religion. God's around every corner. When he stands up in Athens and preaches, uh, literally you could look out in the city and you would find a shrine, a temple to a god on, on every street corner. He spoke into a dark world. 
Okay, now here I think is the comfort for us. God's word has always gone out into context like that, into context like ours. We don't need some golden age of cultural receptivity. God's power is greater than whatever darkness we happen to find ourselves in, in our own place, in our own cultural moment. Paul reminds Timothy that it is God's power that comes into this dark world, and it is bright, and it is, God is going to use it to accomplish his purposes. So he tells Timothy, go and do not be afraid to preach, because God is going to use his word to change people's lives. And that's true of our world, even in our uh, cultural moment right now. He goes on, describes these guys fairly graphically. I mean, you know, this image, this uh, colorful image. He says they're going to have itching ears. They're going to have these ears that are just ready for whatever the newest and latest teaching is. And it's interesting because we are a people who are always listening. Always listening. We are always hearing some voice, whether you're conscious of that or it's sort of speaking into the background. If you have small children, you've been reminded of that as I have. Elizabeth and I will be... Uh, talking in the kitchen, our kids will be playing in the room right next to us, and they'll be doing all kinds of stuff, making noise. And uh, at some point, one of our kids will look up and they'll ask a question about what we had just been talking about. And you're thinking, you were tuned out. Like, how did you hear what I just said? And you think, I really need to be careful what I say around my children. It's an often a good reminder of that. Because our kids, even when they seem tuned out, even when they're doing something else, they're absorbing like sponges what's going on around them. Uh, that we saw that recently with uh, Caroline, our, our daughter. Somewhere along the way, she picked up the word apparently. This was a couple months ago. And so like nine times in every conversation, she'd say apparently. And about half the times apparently, she'd apparently get it right. But apparently, sometimes she, you know, she, she'd misuse it. But somewhere she'd grasp hold this word and she'd stick it in everywhere because we are people who are listening. So the question this text brings to us is what are our ears itching for? What are we listening for? Too, because Paul's assumption and Timothy's assumption and God's assumption is that we are listening to something and someone and often many things. Because we're listening to the answers of the questions that are kicking around in our heads even now. We're listening to the events of our lives. We're listening to the people around us that we trust. We're listening to our professors at school, the movies we watch, the newspapers, the books, the blogs that we read. We are people listening for answers. And Paul is telling Timothy, as he says here, the day is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. Another way of translating that is healthy doctrine, that which is good for them, because we are people that tend to drink from polluted streams and eat food that is not good for us. And so he says to Timothy, it is important that your people are fed from Scripture. Okay, that's the context of preaching. What about the content of preaching. Again, we're going to make such a big deal about this. What are we going to preach? Well, Paul is very clear about this. Back to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, uh, charging the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Verse 2, preach the word. He says, that's what you have to preach, Timothy. Go and preach God's word, the scriptures, to your people. They don't really need to hear your opinion about the world. They really don't need to hear your pet theories. They don't really need to hear about what your favorite hobby is. They need to hear God's word opened to them. Go and preach the word. He says that is what is going to have power in people's lives. We need to hear God's voice. Uh, Eric Alexander is a, a Scottish preacher and said this in an in a essay on preaching. He says the true picture of New, the New Testament is not that of a congregation under the authority of a preacher. 
but of both preacher and congregation under the authority of God's written word. He says, Timothy, that is what you're to unfold for your congregation. So if that's true, if we're supposed to come back to the scriptures, to the Bible, what is at the heart of what scripture tells us? What is this word that it speaks into our lives? And one way uh, in a, to briefly answer that question is to say simply that the Bible brings to us the gospel, the good news of Jesus' salvation offered through his blood. And it's interesting, that's exactly what Paul points to. Look at what he says to Timothy back in verse 15 of uh, chapter 3. He's talking to Timothy about having grown up uh, in a Jewish context, uh, being uh, trained in the scriptures. In verse 15 he says, How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now what's striking about this, the Bible that Timothy grew up with was what we would call the Old Testament. He has since then received, as he's grown up, teaching about Jesus and who he was, and he's come to Christian faith. But Paul says, you grew up on the Scriptures, and they point to Jesus. That is what the Bible is about. That is the message, page in and page out, that it is driving home to us. The reality of our world is a fallen, broken place, estranged from God, and God's incredible rescue operation of bringing a lost and broken people back into right relationship with himself through the person of Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to that. All the sacrifices in the temple, the message of healing and hope that all the prophets bring to the people. Every page speaks of God's work in history coming to this culminating moment of Jesus' death and resurrection. And all of the Old Testament scripture looks forward to it and all of the New Testament scripture dwells right on it. It is about this. And he says, Timothy, that is what you are to preach. So he speaks of the power of Scripture in Timothy's own life as it brought him to faith. And he goes on and speaks the power of Scripture in the believer's life as it continues to change us and mold us and, to use the theological word, sanctifies us throughout the course of our lives. Look at what he says about the Bible in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So he takes this Bible that he said to Timothy, this is what brought you to salvation. He says, this is what is going to train you as well. He says, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. It is His Word to us. And Paul doesn't go into any sort of explanation here of how God used human writers to bring us his word what does he do he goes back to the divine source of scripture he says this is god's word exhaled to you and it does something timothy it is profitable and he goes and mentions these four things that it does he says that it's uh, profitable for teaching and reproof correction and training in righteousness the first two of those have to do with uh kind of our our own intellectual comprehension of what god teaches us and how he works in our lives, our teaching, that's exactly what goes on week in and week out as you hear sermons preached from God's word, as you yourself come to God's word uh, on your own and in small groups, as you you come to Sunday school and whatever other context you might be in in the week when you're exposed to scripture, that it teaches us. And not only does it teach us, when we go wrong, it reproves us. It, uh, It corrects wrong doctrine, wrong thought comes in and changes, it's meant to change our wrong thoughts about who God is. Because God is a real and specific God. 
And he's not simply a figment of our imagination, and we can't dress him in whatever clothes we want. Scripture comes and corrects us. So the first two of those have to do with, in one way with what we think and what we understand, and the second two have to do with the way that that uh, plays itself out in our lives as we live uh, as God's people instructed by his word. Not only is it profitable for teaching and reproof, but for correction and training in righteousness, that it comes in and actually corrects our behavior and corrects not only our mistaken ideas, but our mistaken loves when we set our hearts on the wrong things when we live in line uh, with, with wrong aspirations and when we find ourselves wrapped up in bowing down to things that are not God, it comes in and it corrects us and it trains us in righteousness and builds us up. Just as a parent trains their children for a life, Scripture comes in and trains us as well to live as men and women before God in right relationship with Him. So the Bible comes in and does something, and first to last, the heart of that content is Jesus, the one who brings us into relationship with God and the one who sustains and upholds us. Because Scripture tells us of our great need for Jesus when we come to faith, and Scripture proclaims to us boldly our incredible need for Jesus as we seek to live faithful lives in response to Him. When it corrects us, when it reproves us, when it trains us, it's training us in a life that is uh, bound up with the life of our Savior Jesus. It, it trains us in a life of obedience that flows from God's finished work for us. In obedience and a lifestyle that flow from the fact that we are already accepted by God in Christ. That all that has to be done to win God's favor has already been done in Jesus. And so scripture comes to us not telling us to pull us up by our own bootstraps, but it comes to train us that we might say, this is what is true of me now because of Jesus. How am I now in the power of Christ going to live a life that actually begins to reflect the beauty of what God has poured into me? And suddenly the life of discipleship and growth becomes one of incredible freedom. Hard often, but one of of freedom and actual joy because we are free to respond to a God who already has declared his love to us and stamped it indelibly on our lives. And Paul tells Timothy to preach this to his people. Uh, As people always in need of this, I was thinking about when Elizabeth and I, before we moved down here, we lived for a few years up in Philadelphia, and we were from the south and moved up north, and it was a new experience to have harsh winters and the potholes that it creates around town. And you can't get from one end of town to the other without these incredible lurches of your car and every time you're thinking my wheel is going to fall off, which did happen to us once, actually. Um, the, uh, I didn't fall off, just bent the rim. Uh, but what happens is when, if you're trying to take care of your car, you think, you know, I've got to keep my car in alignment. This is screwing up my tires. It's screwing up my car. So you take your car and it gets realigned so the tires go in the right direction. But the problem with living in some place like Philadelphia is by the time you get home, your car is already out of alignment again. And you need to make this, like, weekly appointment with your, uh, with your uh, you know, mechanic down the street in order to keep your cars aligned. And that's exactly, though, what Timothy is telling us. We are people whose lives are always coming out of alignment. And we are always in need of God's word, the goodness of his grace, his call to us in Jesus being spoken into our lives again and again and again. We are people, in that sense, always being realigned, our life being brought back into focus and into right direction in response to the love of this God who has captured us 
who has come for us, who has given himself for us. Let me just close with the, the quote that you find at the, at the beginning of your bulletin. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism of our Presbyterian uh, doctrine uh, uh, documents of, of what we believe. It asks this question. It says, how is the word of God made effectual to salvation? How is the word God really brought to bear in our lives, to bear fruit of salvation? And the answer is this. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves and drawing them unto Christ of conforming them to His image and subduing them to His will, of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, or building them up in grace, establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. In other words, the preaching of God's Word does something. It brings it to bear, and He means God means for it to come to bear in our lives, that we would be people always being exposed to God's Word and changed by it. And so that's what we think we're doing when we come together on a Sunday morning or for you in other contexts in the week. When you hear somebody preaching that we are opening up God's word, that it might be hammered into the contours of our lives, that we might be a people who are changed, who are drawn closer, who are encouraged in our faith, who when necessary are corrected and realigned, but always as people coming to our God to hear his words from the pages of Scripture. As I said, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about what it means more to listen to a sermon. How do we take advantage of that? How do we take it in? Um, But for today, the importance of what we're doing, that we are people listening, and we need to hear the voice of God, and he brings it to us in the pages of Scripture for us, for our good. And may it bear fruit in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would do your good work of taking your word and hammering it into our lives. I'm desperately in need of that. And we are people who are desperately in need of that. And it's not brought to us by eloquence or clear speech, as helpful as those might be. It's only brought to us by the power of your spirit. And so we come to you asking for that gift. Lord, even this week, would you build us up in your word as we look to you and rest in the goodness of the gospel for us in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.